0: Welcome to Ogle of conversations in Irish mythology, with the story archaeologists Chris Thompson and Isolde orolocon Carmody. Please go to
1: storyarchaeology.com for articles, stories and much more. We do this for the love of it. If you'd like to help out by making a donation through the website, feel free.
0: 6, Circling the Toyne. Episode 7, The Pig and the Hound. There was a hound, and oh what a hound it was, Alva, white and thorn keen, light of foot, smooth of skin, sudden sleek as morning sun, dappled in shadow shade. A perfect hound, fell and fine, many were the foes she laid under earth in the east. There was a pig, and oh, what a pig it was. No bare-bone scrawn, this one. Flesh heavy, fame praised, even her tail a load for nine, gorged on cream of three-score cows. Yet the worst of plagues it was, fatal to noble Lena. There was a feast, and oh what a feast it was, a shield shape of champions, fork sharp, knife ready, each to beat most in Dothers Hall, each to divide the famous pig. Yet though Cade struck straight with words, Conal devoured the pig. Well? Here we are again making another circuit around the stories that make up the great
1: Toyn tradition. Yes, and now we are moving away from our child hero slash brat Cúchulain for a while. He is not appearing in this story, although many of the other main characters from Ulster and Connacht do appear. We're leaving the world of the Cattle Raid as well. Although this story does have animals at its centre. Well, yes, the title of the episode (laughs) somewhat gives that away, I would say. Pig and a Hound. This tale also has some very clear parallels with Fled Vrickren, the Feast of Brickrew. There's many characters in common. We meet Loigre Buadach, Conalcairnach, Concovers there and even our Brickrew.
0: And it starts in a feasting hall and spreads out into the provinces.
1: Yes, absolutely. So we can expect then issues of feast etiquette, there's questions of status and centrally the division of the champions portion and they're in both these tales. But here in Macdathur's Pig there are significant divergences. Now we will be discussing Brickroose Feast today. It would have been a
0: logical next text anyway, wouldn't it? But since we recorded four episodes on the story back in series three, (laughs) and they're still available online, you can go and look at these as companions to this episode. Absolutely. So go and have a listen if you
1: haven't already done your homework. Well, tell me about the text we're using for today. Well, this is another of those stories that's found in the Book of Leinster, which is an early 12th century manuscript. It also appears in some of our other old friends like and 5280 and H318. The edition and most of the translation we're using is by Nora Kershaw Chadwick and she published it in an early Irish reader... Cambridge University Press, it was in 1927. Now there's an online edition of this text which we will put links to and it has an excellent introduction and a very useful index which includes links to many of the other tales that our characters show up in. All of those will be in the links on this post on the website. So let's begin the story of Macdutho's pig. Yes. The story
0: begins not with the eponymous pig, Mm. but with a famous hound. Yes. And it goes, there was once a king of Leinster called Macdotho, and he had a hound who could defend the whole of Leinster. The hound's name is Alva, and it's really, really famous. Yes, Ilel and Maeve in Connacht, not unexpectedly, covet the beast and send messages asking asking for it. But around the same time, Concover in Ulster sends his own messages asking for the hound Alva. Now MacDatho
1: gulps and makes both parties as welcome as he can in his hall. Yes. <laughs> there's definite echoes here of, if you like, the main story of the time. Here there's both Ulster under Concover and Connacht under Maven Allil, and they both desire a very specific and wondrous animal, although this is a hound and not a bull. But the tale now goes on to talk about the location, the the status, the wondrous decoration and layout of MacDatho's Bithyn. Now the Bithyn usually translated as a feasting hall. And Macdatho himself is its Brugger. Now, we have talked about the Brugger on mm-hmm. many occasions, but just to recap, in order to be a Brugger, your house must be at the meeting of three or four roads. You must be keizach, which means hundreded, and it's thought that this means having cattle in the hundreds, so that you have really big herds. And you have to give hospitality to everyone who comes knocking, regardless. Mm. Now, he... Ha- as a brugge, he has the same honour price as a re-tueth, which is the king of the tueth. He's important. Yeah, that is important. It, he is part of the nevad class, the noble, exalted class. And it is basically, being a brugge is the highest rank you can aspire to if you're among the farming class. So he's at the top of his particular tree. Exactly. And equal to a regional king. Yes, or the regional top poet. It It is equivalent to those other roles. There's a very interesting note that I came across about the Brugge and this is, I just read it in the, the Dictionary of the Irish Language. There is an understanding that a Brugge is a recognised intervener in disputes. Mm-hmm. And I think that puts our brick crew in rather an interesting light. <laughs>
0: <laughs> he has
1: an interesting way of settling
0: disputes oh yes and in a lot of stories It's the feast is where things happen yes so it's not surprising that the feast is central
1: it's not and it's not surprising that a lot of the stories about these mm. feasting halls involve destructions and murder well, it's where things change exactly yes yeah but this text anyway identifies MacDatho's feasting hall his brithom as being one of the six great brithom of ireland at that time now O'Curry. Locates McDathos Hall in County Carlo. It's most definitely in Leinster, as we'll see from all the place names that come at the end. But the other Britain that are in this list of the sixth great are Darderiga's Hostel, which is in Cooloo, which is north. County Wicklow, South County Dublin. Well known one, that one. It is, because we have the Togol Rhythm Dolderaga, which is the destruction of Dolderaga's Hall. That's a great story. It really is, and we will get to it one of these days soon, hopefully. (laughs) Yes, it is one of those very complex ones, though, so we want to give it enough time and space. Now, the list also mentions the Hall of Forgal Monarch, and that's Emer's father, which I think is very interesting. And that one is located near Lusk, which is in North County Dublin. Still a very populated area today. Then there's the Hall of Macdareo, who is also called Maccaeacht Macdareo. And that is in Breffny. Now, who is he? Well, unfortunately, our information is a little scanty. All we know at the moment is that the hall, it was somewhere in O'Rourke's territory in Breffney and there's a reference to a story where there's a great bloody coup that takes place in the hall and one set of rulers are murdered so that another <laughs> set can take their place. This is why I ask because mm. West Breffney is Leitrim, which yes, is where we are now. Is here. Yes. And the
0: O'Rourkes were the traditional, if you like, regional kings of West Breffney. Yeah. According to the... Read with caution, inverted commas, Irish annals. Ruach Mac uh, Tigevon was king of Brefni in... Eight, nine, three or something like that Yes One of their main strongholds was in fact on the site of the now very famous Plantation Parks Castle on Loch Gill yes. Near Drummerhair You can see the remains of it there mm. Just just the outline around the plantation or inside the plantation castle mm. There are, and this is one that keeps getting lost The remains of a slightly later 14th century banqueting hall in Drummerhair Oh yeah It's in ruins but it's still there Yeah now, it's said that the O'Rourke's were really widely known for their hospitality and generosity. Yeah. The banqueting hall, it said, was originally built when they were at the height of their power in the 10th and 11th century, which is sort of about the time of this text. It is, yes, yeah. Their feasts apparently were talked about far and wide and written, written about in poems, right down to Swift. Yes. And this is what he wrote. O'Rourke's noble fare will ne'er be forgot by those who are there and those who are not. <laughs>
1: Okay, what about the other halls? Okay. Well, the next one on the list is the Hall of Dohukka, which is in the west of Meath, rather than in West Meath. And there's another story, which is about the Britain Dohukka. And finally, we have the Hall of Bly, who is the Brugge in Ulster. As we keep saying, hospitality is central, and these halls are effectively as important as the king's dooms. Oh, certainly, but slightly different in tone because they do have to give hospitality to everybody. It makes life difficult for them. Oh, it, it can do. Yes, yes. There is some further description that we get in the text. There were seven doors in that hall, and seven passages through it, and seven hearths in it, and seven cauldrons, and an ox and a salted pig in each cauldron. Now that has similarities to Brickhouse Hall. It certainly it? does. Yeah, great halls
0: with seven of everything. Do you think this number reflects opulence and affluence, or does it have oh, something of the other world about it? I'm not sure.
1: No, I'm not sure either. I think there's a little bit of both. I mean, the only slightly otherworldly reference that I could think of was in the there's of and a *Pursuit mm. of and Gráinne, where they're hiding out in the woods and Dermud makes this house of seven doors, mm. which is like a sh- shelter in the woods, basically. But at, at one point, he goes to each of these doors in turn, and in each door, is a different Finn who's saying you have to run away now or else Finn McCovell is going to kill you. And he does this on each door and finally at the seventh door, there's Finn McCovell and he's going to kill him. Boom. Yeah, when <laughs> you just talk about seven doors, that's what comes into my head. But it's reflecting the feasting hall pattern, isn't Exactly, it? yeah. I'm yeah. just saying it has space for everybody.
0: It probably sounds more significant than it is. Yeah, I think so. The text goes on to say that every man who came along the passage used to thrust the flesh fork into a cauldron and whatever he brought out at the first catch became his portion if he didn't obtain anything at the first
1: attempt he didn't get another there is of course etiquette about which portion is due to you according to your position in society we met this before when we were discussing the tech mid in tever at tara and in fact the tech mid of tever is sometimes listed among those great mm. feasting mm. halls but the tech mid we were discussing in relation to cormac and it's the one where there's a very specific layout about where everyone sits and what they get. In the fact, I attached the image of that exactly, to a, Rick Ruth's Feast. Yes, which does appear in one of the manuscripts. Mm. And one of the chief skills of the Brugga is to ensure that everyone is seated and served correctly according to their rank. Here, the cauldron is... It's almost dictating status. It's a bit like the sorting hat. (laughs) I like that. Basically. But it's standing in for MacDosso's skill. So it's a symbol of the rugged, if you like. I think so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, But this skill is really put to the test when you have guests who have equivalent status. Well, he's got a
0: problem this time because he's got two parties of equivalent status. Yes. There's the messages from Connacht. And the messages from Ulster. And they make their respective
1: requests or, in fact, demands. Yes. We want the hound. Yes. Now, the Connacht messengers offer three score hundred milk cows, which for anyone... 600 cows. Exactly, yes. And that's immediately along with a chariot and two horses, which are, of course, the best in Connacht. What's more, they promise gifts of equal value again in a year's time. It's
0: quite a herd. It is. That's
1: something that just went through my head
0: when you talked about this. 600 cows, this huge number. Yeah. Now, this is probably completely irrelevant, but it struck me that uh, the archaeology in Orkney of the great Neolithic centre up there, when they closed that down, the archaeologists have estimated that the final feast there that uh, both celebrated and ended that centre was of around the number of 600, all from one herd. Oh, yes. You could imagine that somehow this number goes on to become almost like a symbol for the best and the most you could think of. Yes. I yes. mean, that's probably irrelevant. There's nothing to back that up. No. It just but, went through my head.
1: Well, the messengers from Ulster offer equal gifts and amounts of livestock, but they also offer concovers value as a friend. Now, that is important. Yes. The Ulstermen
0: are offering alliance and friendship. Now, they state this so pointedly that I keep feeling they're making MacDotho an offer he cannot refuse. Yes,
1: I get the impression that Concover is not someone that you want to fall out with, basically. Right. So,
0: you know, you're going to accept our friendship, yes, aren't you? or else. Yeah.
1: <laughs> but what does MacDotho do about this? Yeah, all right. uh, the text says, Thereupon, our MacDotho melted away into total silence, and in this manner, he was a whole day without drink, without food, without sleep, Tossing from side to side. It's got a
0: problem. It's a big
1: problem. Yes. He's on the sharp
0: and very pointy horns of a rather uncomfortable dilemma. (laughs) In fact, it's heads he loses, tails he loses. Yes. (laughs) Now, his wife is sympathetic and says to him oh,
1: you know, you've had a long fast. There's loads of food and you're not eating any of it. What's wrong? Well, he just completely ignores this rather kind and sympathetic appeal for him to discuss his problems.
0: Now, the next
1: section is absolutely fascinating. Oh, yes. It has, I think, some of the strongest performative character of anything we've come across. It's an exchange in poetry where the husband and the wife are discussing the problem. And mm. if I just read you the Irish of the first stanza, I think it will give you an idea of what it would have sounded like and why we think this is such an oral piece. I'll do the translation then. Yeah, okay. So this is just the first uh, stanza. Tugad tarvid chudulta do macdatho boisí ní "'A dearth of sleep came upon Macdatho in his
0: house. "'There has been something needing counsel, but he has spoken to no one. "'He turns away, he turns to the wall, away from me, "'the warrior of the war-band, band of fierce vigour. "'His careful wife, it gives her
1: pause for her husband to go without sleep.' "'And he replies, "'As said Crimson Neonor, do not tell your secrets to women.' "'A woman's secret is not well hidden. "'A treasure is not entrusted to a slave,' the woman says. "'Even to a woman you should speak
0: if you lose nothing by it. "'Where your own mind cannot reach, the mind
1: of another may go.' "'The hound of Mesroy the Macdartho, an evil day when they sent for it. "'Many great fair men will fall for its sake. "'The battle will be beyond reckoning.' Unless it is given to concover, it will certainly be a stupendous deed. His hosts will not leave behind them any more cattle than land. If it be refused to Allil, he will smear Ireland with the people's blood. MacMogach will carry us off. He will crush us in a sudden gush. The woman says, I
0: have advice for you about it. I am not bad at getting to the heart of the matter. Give it to both parties. Who cares which of
1: them dies for it? The advice which you offer me does not seem a futile action. If Alva was not sent by God, it is not known by whom it was brought. (laughs) Good, isn't it? Yeah. The man is very dismissive of the woman's <laughs> ability to offer advice. Yeah. A treasurer is not entrusted to a slave. He's equating her to a slave, his wife. How rude. Well, he might defend himself that he's just quoting, of course, but it's no excuse. She gives him a very good answer, though. She suggests sharing the problem with another person, that that might lead to a solution.
0: And in spite of his rudeness, she's offered him a solution to an impossible situation. Mm. And he accepts her help. Macdotho is perfectly happy to let both supplicants fight it out. Yes. Now, what do you think about the presentation of this section? Is it
1: performance poetry? I think it's undeniably so. When you hear the way that it is just an enacted conversation, you can see the whole process and the laying out of the story. As we so often say, the poetry is usually the core of the prose. And even though this is not obscure poetry... It's not a particularly early or uh, not, not especially, no. Uh, but it is so neat and so dense and well put together. In its modern language, I can see it as being something that was still performed. Mm. We've always said that originally you had a poem that told a story yeah. and the prose was
0: built, built. around yeah. it. And here you have a core Yes. Which is one of the clearest cause, I think, that tells the whole story. Like, oh, yeah. Across. Absolutely. And, and very good example.
1: It is. And it's intriguing to think that it might actually be two performers as well. Mm. That, that you do have them taking up the story in much of the way we do I mean that might not be the case it could easily be done by one person but you find it the same thing later on as we'll see exactly there's more obscure poetry later mm. on but again it's that exchange it's that conversation between two people well let's go on with the story for yeah. now. Macduffo does
0: take the advice of the woman and he entertains the delegates from both parties for three days and interviews them separately. Yes. Now, the messengers for both parties are absolutely delighted with the outcome, each believing that they've been granted the hound. And so they head back to their superiors, the regional kings, uh, to report on their success. Yes. And then disaster (laughs) strikes, at least for Macduffo. Yeah. Because each of the principals decides to
1: show up to collect the hound on the same day.
0: They both arrive at the same time. Yeah,
1: so poor Mark Dotho is confronted with Concover and his entire retinue showing up for a big feast at exactly the same time as Alil and and their retinue. As the texts put it, even though the hall was huge, they were not, however, the faces of friends at a feast which were in the house. <laughs> Less looking daggers. Interestingly, the text does say that there had been warfare between them, that's between the Connacht and the Ullad, for 300 years before the birth of Christ. Now, given that Concover is so often given the same year of birth as Christ, this tells us that the animosity that stands between Ulster and Connacht, it long predates our current antagonists. They've inherited it. Well,
0: MacDasso does his best to fend off the worst. Yes. And his best bet at this point is to
1: present a pretty impressive feast. Now, this is where we first hear about this famous pig. Yeah, the pig of the title. Now, this pig had been fed on the milk of 60 cows for seven years. But now there's a curious statement. In Chadwick's edition, she translates as, On poison. However, it had been nourished and the massacre of the men of Ireland took place through it. Now, I'm not entirely sure what to make of this section. The Irish says, Now, that beginning, that three nev is tricky. And nev does indeed mean poison but it can also mean sharpness or keenness. So you might translate it as with keenness or even spitefully the pig was fed so that the slaughter or destruction of the men of Ireland was brought about by it. It
0: sounds as if it contains a certain irony. Yeah, It may have been a tasty pig, but the serving of it had poisonous consequences. I certainly think that's implication is in there, yeah. Well, let's go on. So the pigs brought to them and 40 oxen as a relish <laughs> and other food as well with MacDonald
1: himself acting as host. Yes. Now, this is his role as bruger, and that's to control the correct division of food according to the status of his guests. His role is also, though, to demonstrate the available abundance in this most wealthy province oh, of Leinster. Yeah, and he has got a major event to handle. Yeah.
0: Two contending regional kings and their whole retinues of the most famous warrior heroes. Yes. <laughs> that's something. But... So far, so good. Mm. Concover approves the arrangements. He says, the pig is good. <laughs> it is indeed good, says Alil. So he's managed to please both of them. Yes. Then comes the moment of danger. As Alil points out, how shall the pig be divided, Concover?
1: Hmm. Yes, and
0: this is really
1: yes. the breaking point. And that is such a tricky question. Usually, each person knows they're going to get a specific cut according to their status. And the choicest and best of the meat, of course, is the champion's portion and that's awarded to the household's preeminent warrior. However, usually there would be only one king to feed, one poet and one champion. How do you divide up one pig among two households? And it's our brick crew,
0: Poison Tongue himself, who suggests an entertaining solution. (laughs) Yes. He suggests that each warrior present is to recount and boast all their bravest deeds. Yes. And he also points out that since they frequently come to blows over
1: this, that you know, he comments, each of you has hit each other over the nose before now. <laughs> now, yeah. we're is a fellow brugger so he knows all of the procedures and he's suggesting an accepted procedure but it will naturally create some contention between the visiting groups he does like his entertainment
0: <laughs> well it seems that uh, so do the others alil says yes let it be done and cancover also agrees that it's very proper we have heroes present he said who have raided in the borderlands. yes So the warriors are now free to boast and brag and they don't waste
1: any time. No, and the text doesn't waste any time either. You will have need of your young men tonight, O Concover, says Shenloich Arad from Cruach Kamalad in the West. You have often left a fat Bullock of your number Lying dead on his arse On the luachra Dead roads Ooh It was a fatter bullock That you left behind with us <laughs> Namely your own brother <laughs> And that's Winrever Mac Gergan Who's speaking And that brother Is Cruachnú Mac Rúadlun From Kruch and and <laughs> My goodness. He was no better Said Lugad Mac Conroy Than the great Loth The son of Fergus Mac Lege, Who was left dead By Echveil Mac Deedid In Tara Luachra what do you think of this, said Keltker MacUthaker, my having killed Cungon Kness Macdeathed and cut off its head. Well, there's a load of names there, <laughs> and some of them are very significant names. Yes, <laughs> Are they just being thrown in for scene setting? Well, this is the first volley. It's another back and forth kind of conversation, if you like, between Connacht and Ulster. I think it's interesting that a lot of the Connacht delegation has not- notables from Kerry. All these Dethered and the Luacher references, there to Koo Roy's neck of the woods down in Kerry. Mm. We even have his own son Lugad MacKoo and his uncle Kumgangnes MacDethet. It's worth noting, I think, that it's Kelthker MacOithacar of Ulster who boasts of beheading this horned-skinned uncle of Kuroi. And this is part of another feud, which involves the death of Kuroi and ultimately the death of Keltker himself. Yes, you've got Ulster, but you've got, got Munster as well involved in yes. this one. Yes. That seems to reflect
0: back to the original Swinehurt again.
1: Yes, it does, but it also ties in some other elements of the, the material around the thine, Some mm-hmm. of the stranger stuff that does involve Kuroi. And of course Kuroi is in Fled Vricren, right. as Yes. You know. was, yes. It, it also reaches forward to other death Tales. This is one of those intertextual moments where the audience knows they do. they do, the, the whole theme. corpus. And so each individual little sentence, they go, oh, yeah. I know that one. Oh, That's I know right. that one. Everybody who
0: was anybody was there. Yes. <laughs> well, eventually Cade McMurtough takes <laughs> control. He picks up a knife to carve the pig himself. Yes. Oh, let somebody be found now among the men of Ireland, he says, to endure battle with me. Or just leave it to me to divide the pig. Now, this is Cade who tried to kill his
1: nephew, Connell, when he was a baby, isn't it? Yes. Now, when we were looking at, again, in episode two, I think, of Portents and Prophecies, and we looked at the birth of Conal Cairnock, we met his uncle, Cade MacMathoc. Now, Cade is his uncle because his sister is Fincoif, who is Connell's mm-hmm. mother. And when she was pregnant with Connell. That interfering busybody, Calford, came along and made a prophecy that Connell was going to kill many, many Connacht men and run off with their heads. And as a result, when the baby is born, Cade puts his foot on the child's neck and is going to basically snap its neck and squish its head. And they managed to stop him at the last minute. But that leaves Connell with this wry neck, this mm-hmm. crooked neck. And there's an animosity from that point onwards, as you might expect. So
0: we know Cade is a bit of a bully.
1: Uh, to say the least, attempted <laughs> child murderer. But we now get to hear some of the background, the status and the valorous boasts of the many of the heroes of the Toyn tradition. Some who we've met before, some who we will meet again. All of the Ulster men fall silent when Cade makes this challenge, waiting to see what's going to happen next. It's Concover who takes the initiative. He nudges a nearby favourite warrior and says, You see that, <laughs> <laughs> Well did you see what he just said? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Hope you were listening. Yeah. But the next section is
0: pure, just oral storytelling. Yeah. It's wonderful. The multiform's just repeated over and over again, emphasising Cade's self-promoted superiority. Yes. He's mouthing off, taking on all comers and getting away with it. Mm. It's very effective. Look, we'll try and
1: act it out a bit. Yes, yes. So the first one who does step up to Cade is Loigra, having been poked in the back by Kuncover. We have met Loigra before. He's one of the big three, along with Conal Carnock and Cúchuln, in Fled He's one of the many people who just generally gets very irritated by Cúchuln and who could blame him. <laughs> <laughs> it's not right, said Loigra, for Cade to divide up the pig in front of us. Stop a bit, Loigra, that I may speak to you, said Cade. You have a custom among you in Ulster that every youth among you, on receiving arms, makes us his objective. Now you came into the borderland and we encountered you there. You left behind the wheel and the chariot and the horses. You yourself made off with a spear through you. You will not get the pig in that way. (laughs) Thereupon the other sat down. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I really like that little bit of commentary that says that it's a tradition for the young Ulster heroes. As soon as they get their weapons, they make a foray into the enemy uh, camp. Go and raid the borders. Exactly. Now, they say Connacht, but we saw Coo go and do exactly that during his boyhood exploits. But he goes and raids in Leinster. Leinster. Mm -hmm. The next Ulsterman to stand up and accept this challenge is Oingus McLaughlin gorvitz ''It's
0: not right,'' said a great fair hero who had risen from his place, ''that Cade should divide the pig in front of us.''
1: ''Whom have we here?''
0: ''Oh, he's Kate. a better hero than you are,'' said everyone. ''He is Oingus MacLava Goivud of Ulster.'' ''Why is your
1: father called Love Goivud?" asks Cade. ''Well, why?'' ''I know,'' he says. ''I once went eastward. The alarm was raised around me. Everyone came on and Love came too." He threw a cast of his great spear at me. I sent the same spear back to him and it struck off his hand so that it lay on the ground. What could bring his son to give me combat? Oingus sat down. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Now this name, Lovagovid, it just means severed hand or severed arm. It's a kind of nickname. It, It is a bit of a nickname. It makes it a little bit obvious that something has happened to him in the past. And we'll find a few more of those as we go along. The next... Person to challenge is Yogan Mac who's given as the King of Fernmag. Now he is the one who ends up killing Noisha and his brothers, the sons of Uishe, whom we will meet in due course. And Fernmag is South Monaghan, so that's his territory. Keep up the contest further, says Cade, or else let me divide the pig. It's not
0: right that you should take precedence in dividing the pig, said a great fair hero of Ulster. Whom have we here, asks Kate. That is Joghan Macdurthak, said everyone. He is king of Fenmog. I've seen him before, says Cade.
1: Where have you seen me, said Yogan? At the door of your house, when I deprived you of a drove of cattle. The alarm was raised around me in the countryside. You came at that cry. You cast a spear at me so that it stuck out of my shield. I cast the spear back at you so that it pierced your head and put out your eye. It is patent to the men of Ireland that you are one-eyed. It was I who struck out the other eye from your head. Thereupon the other sat down. Yes. (laughs) Next, we get Winrever MacGargan, and this is Fatneck, son of Shorthead, whom we met at Brickroo's feast. "'Prepare now, men of Ulster, for further contest,' says Cade. "'You will not divide it yet,' says Winrever. "'Is that not Winrever?" asks Cade. "'I am the man who last cleaned my spears in Winrever. "'It is not yet a whole day since I took three heads of heroes from you out of your land.' And among them, the head of your eldest son. Thereupon, the other sat down. <laughs> Next we get Men maxolcada Now his name, Men means stam- stammerer. There's me stammering over stammerer. And he's the son of solcada which could mean the soiled one, or it could mean clean heels. We shall see. Further contest, said Cade. That you shall have, said Mend. <laughs> Who is this? Mend? said everyone. What next? Some sons of rustics with nicknames to onset contest with me? For it was from me that your father got that name. It was I who struck off his heel at my sword, so that he took away only one foot when he left. What could encourage the son of a one-footed man to fight with me?' Thereupon the other sat down. Yes. Now, there could be a bit of a pun on the name here, I think. Uh, the soul could, have, could originally mean soiled or dirty. and It's possible that the storyteller is punning on the soul possibly being heels. So he's imagining these heels being cut off. Next up, Celtcormac Uthacur. Further contest! That you shall have, said a grey,
0: tall, very terrible hero of Ulster. Who is this? That
1: is Kelker Makothaka, said everyone. Stop a bit, Kelthker, unless we are to come to blows at once. I came, Keltker, to the door of your house. The alarm was raised around me. Everyone came up. You came too. You went into the doorway in front of me. You cast a spear at me. I cast another spear at you so that it pierced your thigh and your higher testicle. You have had a urinary disease ever since and you haven't had a son or daughter. What could encourage you to fight with me? Thereupon the other sat down carefully. Carefully. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, that's added. (laughs) Well, I think it's obvious, really. Uh, this is clearly an older warrior. He's described as grey and he's one who's involved in that feud with Coo Roy's people, the dead. End. I do feel sorry for poor Nora Chadwick. She was a little bit hesitant in her <laughs> translation. She's talking about the, the upper part of the fork of the thigh and things like that. <laughs> also, she didn't know that fool is the word for urine. Uh, if she'd gone to school in Ireland, she would have known that. Every school child does. But yeah, poor woman. I do feel sorry for her. <laughs> Who's next? Next, we have Cusgrid Menvmacher, and he is the son of Concover. Further contest! That you shall have, said Cuscred. Who is this? Cuscred said the others. He has the makings of a king to judge from his appearance. No thanks to you, said the boy. Well, it was to us you came in the first place, boy, for your first trial of arms. There was an encounter between us in that borderland... You left a third of your people behind, and it is thus you went, with a spear through your throat, so that you have not an articulate word in your head, for the spear has injured the tendons of your throat, and that is why you have been nicknamed Cuskrid the Stammerer ever since. And in this manner he flouted the entire province. Yes. This final challenger is the son of the king. He's the son of Concover. And this young Cuscred was fostered by Conal Cairnock, which is maybe where he and Cade have encountered each other in the past. <laughs> but the whole of this passage has been
0: moving towards the entrance of the great Connell Cairnock. Yes. Now, in the second episode of this series, I think it was Portents and Prophecies, I remember we commented that Conal
1: Cairnock may well have been one of those great dynastic hero figures. And we also said that... It was possible many of his stories might have been taken over by the local Ulster hero, Coo Cullen. He gets everything else he wants, doesn't he? <laughs> but this story of MacDatho's pig was one that suggested to us, anyway, that it might at one time have been Connell himself, who was the biggest and the best. Mm-hmm. Well, he certainly is in this story. Yeah. And now we have Connell and his murderous uncle, Cade,
0: who are facing down each other. Now, Cade is standing there making flourishes about the pig with a knife in his hand when they see Connell Kernock entering. He bounds into the centre of the house and the men of Ulster give him a huge welcome and, in fact, Concova whips the hat from his head and throws it in the air with a flourish. Yes! (laughs) I'm glad that my portion is in readiness, said Connell. And who's doing the dividing then? Now, it's been granted to the man who's over there who's dividing it, says Concova. Looking at Cade. K- yes. Is it right,
1: Cade, says Connell, that you should divide this pig? And now we come to a fantastic sequence. Here we got a poetic showdown between two equal contestants. And it is a real battle rap. Yeah. Just as you described this process in an earlier episode. Oh, yeah. And it's a poem worth the telling. I certainly think so. So then Cade said, Welcome, Connell heart of stone, magnificent fierce ardour, radiance of ice, blood-red force of anger, under the good breast of a hero, wounding, battle victorious. I have evaluated the son of Vincoiv before me. And Connell answers, welcome Cade. Cade Modoc, warrior's home, or perhaps the home of chastisement. Heart of ice, tale of a swan. A swan's arse? Mm.
0: Warlike sea, fine raging, jealous, lustful bull, Cade. It will be clear in our encounters, said Connell, and it will be clear in our separation. It will be a famous tale for the goadsmen, the drovers. It will be a testimony for the craftsman, since a champion will march towards a furious fight with spear shafts of the two chariot fighters who will perform exploit after exploit. Man will go over man in this house tonight.
1: It's a powerful piece of poetry, particularly yes.
0: the beginning. Oh, yeah, That part's Rusk, isn't it?
1: It is, yes. And it's this exchange of welcomes in Rusk form. Cade's poem seems a pretty standard kind of praise for a warrior. He says that Cunnell is radiant like ice, although ice, of course, can be hard, cold and shining. But what I like is that Connell picks up... Cade's phrases and throws them back at him, very much like the spears that Cade kept on flinging back at the Ulster heroes earlier. Connell picks up on that ice imagery, but he says it's Cade's heart, with it, which is icy. Now, the most suspicious line to me is that Ethra Nella. Is he saying that Cade is graceful as a swan's tail, or... Like a swan's ar sticking up out of the water. Yeah, and of course going nowhere because his feet keep paddling, but he yeah. doesn't get anywhere with his tail up. Yeah. But finally, he calls him Tar of Tnuthuk, the Tar, of, of course, being the bull. Now, Tnuth is both positive and negative connotations to it. Yes, it's fierce and raging, but it can also be envious, obsessive and even lustful. And I think that it's this very speckled praise that wins Connell, his now, argument. Explain a bit more about what you mean by speckled praise. Certainly. We've come across these terms before in terms of praise, poetry and satire. And we know that it's very important which one you say, because satire has consequences, very, mm-hmm. and legal consequences. But... You also get a kind of poetry which is termed breck or speckled because it has bits of praise and bits of satire in it. And if you remember any of the times we described the legal procedure for satire, one of the things the poet has to do is to name the crime he's accusing the person of. But because that can be seen as satire, he then has to write a line of praise in order to counteract it. Mm Mm. And so you get, then, speckled poetry, which has both within it. Ambiguous. It is deliberately ambiguous because you can't be accused of satire. You can't be accused of making an illegal satire, but you can still make digs mm-hmm. at the person that you're talking about. Which is very much how we see satire nowadays. Exactly, yes. That you can't be libeled, but you can make insinuations. And what's more, everyone will know exactly. what you're being. Including the person that it's about, although they don't always get it. Either way, I think that what Connell has done here is he's really very cleverly managed to throw the same poetic form and the same imagery back at Cades and makes it impossible to tell whether he's praising him or satirising him. And in that way, it's winning the argument. Exactly. And that ambiguity continues into into the next passage, which I'm afraid that Nora Chadwick made a bit of a hames of, is this bit about Mm. what their fight will be like. You've got that speckled quality where Cunhal says their fight will be a famous tale, but not for poets or for historians. He's saying it's a famous tale for drovers and for craftsmen. Yes, it's not a noble fight, but no. something which will amuse the proletariat. Oh, yes. La Huy Yes.
0: yes. <laughs> Having used two different languages, but no one. <laughs> but yeah, they, they, it's going to amuse the ordinary people, but yeah. it's not going to be a noble tale remembered. Yeah. In, in other words, he's really putting down Cade. Oh, yeah. It's really clever. <laughs> -hmm. So he's won, effectively. Yes. And after the poetic battle rap, Connell tells Cade
1: to get away from the pig. Now, Cade's not quite ready to give in. He just goes, Make me. And this is where Connell makes an answer to that. And he starts by saying, Tongu na tonga Now, that sounds good. It's, I swear the oath that my people swear. Now, this is a phrase that is often mistranslated as, I swear by the gods my people yeah. swear by. And looking at that wonderful alliterative phrase,
0: yeah. I'd be more likely to translate it as, I swear the swear we swear.
1: Exactly. It yeah. has much more of that quality about it, And it's certainly nothing to do with no. divine retribution. No, no, certainly isn't. So Carl that he has never slept a single night without a conoch head under his pillow and that makes it nice and earthy i swear the swear we swear that
0: i've never slept a single night without a conoch man's head under
1: my pillow exactly and it
0: sounds much more solid yes it? and a bit nasty <laughs> <laughs> but yep he's done it and kate now admits that connell is the better warrior but says, if my big brother, Anne Lewin, were here, he would beat you. <laughs> and Connor replies, but he is here. And throws Anne Lewin's severed head into
1: Cade's lap. Yes, mm. and the head is so freshly severed that the fatal lung follow the gush of blood, spurts out at Cade as the head lands in his lap. Now, we're laughing and I think we're right to laugh. Yeah.
0: Because I think an audience would have seen this as... Funny, Abs- Well, yeah. And I think sometimes all this is to, oh, it's so violent. But yeah, it's kind of cartoon humour. Yeah. Almost Tom and Jerry cartoon. Or even itchy and scratchy. Yeah, well, yeah. let's put it, yeah, let's yeah. be a bit more up to date. And after all, we're quite happy to accept uh, almost cartoon violence
1: on film all the time. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Without taking it seriously. And this is much the same. It is, but I think that the actual comedy... Often gets overlooked because people think that if it's about warriors, it has to be all po-faced and serious and tragic and what have you. But we keep on finding actual, like, really mm. hilarious stuff happening in these stories. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot we could talk about mm. this. I mean, it, the
0: classical world was bleached white for yes. 200 years, yeah. all in the same way as all the colour was deliberately Scrubbed out of it Yeah and If you want to know about the Elgin marbles <laughs> They were scrubbed and yeah. bleached white Before they were allowed To have their own new room in the British Museum And the idea was that somehow It all had to be purified yes. And made noble and tragic Yes Where in fact the Greeks and Romans weren't or well the Greeks anyway Weren't even any better No They were just as bright coloured and earthy Exactly And therefore I think it's become to expect That these stories have to have this tragic nobility mm. When actually they have that same earthy quality
1: Yeah, yeah. And you the bright f- cartoon colours Yeah,
0: which you find in a lot of films today. Yeah.
1: Uh, But we could talk about that a lot more. Yes, We need to get back to the story. (laughs) We do, we do. At this stage, Connell uh, essentially accepts a challenge of single combat with Kate. Now, there's an interesting detail that follows here. The warriors make a wall of shields in a circle around the two heroes. Now, what do you make of this? Well, it seems to be that... Essentially, since none of the Connachta can prevent Cunnel from fighting Cades, they make this damdavoc, which literally means a large vat with their shields. It is like a, a protective shield wall, but it seems to be a recognised military strategy. The term appears right throughout the town and even in the Togol Treve, which is the Irish version of the destruction of Troy. Mm. There is a strange
0: comment in the text... It says that they did this for the bad practice that had begun among those men there of evil casting. And that's odd. It
1: is odd, and I'm afraid it's odd because it's another bit of dodgy translation. Now, the sense is a little tricky to extract from this part of the text, but I think what it's saying is that there was going to be some bad behaviour in that house between crooked bandits and bad people. Yeah, well, basically men
0: behaving badly. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, and so you might as well fence them in make sure they don't do too much damage or make sure they don't bring the whole house down which yeah. we'll see they do uh, so do they fight or has connell now succeeded because it's he who is going to divide the pig well
1: it's clear that the connector are prepared for a fight cade has relinquished his carving post and connell has taken it up but the connector are not happy with his next move Cunnell then went to divide the pig. He puts the pork belly into his mouth and so attained to a division of the pig. He sucked up the pork belly, a load for nine men, until he left only a drop of it. You mean he starts at the tail and keeps eating? (laughs) consumes almost half a pig. Well, that's... Conspicuous consumption. Yes, it is. that's what it means. Well, I think it, what it's saying is that he sits down and he just immediately hoovers up the champion's portion so that nobody else can have it. So it's he's going, right, I'm going to settle this argument. I'm eating it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the common warriors are just not very pleased. Well, no, because all that they are left between the lot of them are the two front legs of the pig. And that starts a fight. Oh, yeah. And it's some fight. They are all over each other the text says then started a time of thumps on ears there. that's lovely <laughs> thumps on ears that's time <laughs> my translation <laughs> until the carnage on the floor of the house was as high as the wall of the house and there were streams of blood running through the doors yeah itchy scratchy violence yeah again. yeah yeah
0: <laughs> there, but there is an interesting detail here that they're trapped in the house or if not the house in the enclosure yeah with everyone hitting each other at once. Yeah. A bit like a fight out of a Western. Oh, yeah, major brawl. You know, that's yeah. right. you got mirrors going. You've yeah. got tables being thrown. Just yeah. imagine the whole lot. People yeah. sliding and throwing things. <laughs> now... Suddenly we have Fergus seizing by the roots a great oak tree, which is growing in the middle of the enclosure, and he's breaking it through the walls, Mm. seeming letting people out. There's too many people fighting in the house. But this at least disperses the slaughter over a wider area. Yes,
1: yes, and it certainly Although it is difficult to know precisely what's going on. Well, it is, yes. Well, who could keep track in such a big brawl? That detail about Fergus is very interesting. The first time we've heard that he's even there, it's hard to know what the significance is. But it does have a feeling that it's like a Kuroi kind Guess of what I thought action. When I first read- this is one of those shreds of evidence that we keep finding, which is suggesting that Fergus is something more than the tragic character that he seems to be within the main coin. We're pretty sure there's going to be more clues as we go, and we will be gathering them. But, in fact, in Nora Chadwick's excellent introduction, she refers to a hint in the version of our tale found in Rawlinson B. 512 that Kuroi did have a role in the story. And Chadwick likewise considered the inclusion of this Fergus feat mm. as relating somehow to Kuroi's beheading feat in Fled Yeah, yeah. That, that's, that's what I, I must admit. Yeah. I was going, oh, yes,
0: because I felt that it had to be connected. And yes, yeah, We've been saying for several s- several episodes, something there just sets our spider senses going yeah, yeah. when it comes to Fergus. Mm. But there just isn't at the moment the evidence no to but show it. But we're, the hints are there. They are. And, and it's we're to do with
1: Kuroi. Because yeah. why
0: is Kuroi so central to Fled? Exactly. There has to be some connection. Yes.
1: And Kuroi is another very odd character, but Mm. those are all for future dates very much. Absolutely. But her
0: introduction is very informative. It is. But from what you've been telling me, it's better than most of the
1: translations. Uh, In some respects. Now, I I can't really blame her. Nora Chadwick was uh, an English scholar and she did Mm. comparative medieval literature. Mm. and i think that's why the introduction is so interesting but she's not primarily a linguist and certainly not Mm. in early irish so that's not her strength although she makes a A jolly good fist of it Mm. but I do think her analysis it is good is really good and when you look at the date of 1927 I think she's ahead of a lot I must admit when I was preparing for this
0: I I stopped reading Mm. the introduction until I'd finished working on the text yes because I was going I I want to get my own ideas and this is too good yes yeah and I caught hints of it and I went back afterwards and went oh yes yeah exactly She actually has made a lot of the same connections and it's really helpful yeah but anyway let's go to the final section of the story Macduffo takes the Hound and decides to allow her to make her own choice. Yeah. She sides with the Elstermen and she weighs into the fight on their side
1: and the Hound begins to slaughter the Connacht men, causing a rout. They say it is in the Plain of Alva, what a surprise, that the Hound sees the pole of the chariot in which al were. There, Fair Logha, the charioteer of Alala ran it down, striking its body aside, while its head remained on the pole of the chariot. They say, moreover, that Magalva is so named from this incident, for Alva was the hound's name. Now this Mag Alva According to Hogan Extends from Sleeve Margie And the Barrow River In North County Carlow All the way over To the Wicklow Mountains And takes in Some of South County Kildare And so that gives us a, What part of the country All mm-hmm. this action happens in So in the end MacDatho d- doesn't take responsibility He lets this otherworld Or marvellous hound Go where it will Their flight Turned southward then Over Belloc Moon South County Kildare Past Rearren also County Kildare, over Ó Midthina in Maistu, which is Mullock Mast, in County Kildare, past Drum Kreech, which today is called Kildare, past <laughs> Rasangan into Fey Cullen to the ford of Machlugna, past the hill of the Two Plains over Carbers Bridge. At the ford of the dog's head in Farbill, the dog's head fell from the chariot and that's off Kynkon, which is placed near Farbill in County Westmeath by Hogan. So they did get out of Kildare in the end. <laughs> okay. Well, this is all Dinhianneke-style landscape
0: market, yeah, which you find so often. It's very resonant with the way that the two great bulls are dispersed over the landscape. Yes. Uh, and the dog is very interesting. It's but you get this feeling that almost like you've got, cattle or you've got raiding yes these raid stories we now have them from ulster from Connacht, yeah. from monster and leinster yeah it's almost as though there were raid stories that covered the country oh absolutely and the ulster ones become the most famous yes yeah i think so it's just a thought mm-hmm. finally a little more is added to the story The Connacht Warriors have been losing, but now at last it's
1: Concover's turn to be challenged. Oh yeah, this is the story of Feraloga, who is Alil's charioteer. He is lying in wait in the heather, Of Meath until Concover comes by. Then he does one of these marvellous charioteers leaps onto the chariot behind Concover and grabs his head. Gotcha, says (laughs) Furlogger. I'll give you whatever you want, says Concover. It's not much, says Furlogger. He demands that Concover take him back with him to Evan and have all the women of Ulster and all their young daughters to sing him praise poems every evening that say, "Flo as my darling." <laughs> oh i love the way the story concludes and it says there was no help for it they didn't
0: dare do anything else for fear of concover getting hurt and that's exactly what happens and a year later they send him off across athlone with a pair of concovers best horses with golden bridles yes it's a very light-hearted somewhat laddish ending <laughs> yeah and a good charity story oh yeah but is there
1: any significance that do you think that it concludes at athlone well i I think Athlone is very much, it's said to be at the centre of Ireland and it is a crossroads between Ulster and Connacht and Meath. And that could be why that's where the town ends up as well. Yeah. So that is the full story, but there are a few Dinhennicus pieces that may add some background to the story of Macdotho's pig. But first, maybe let's take some time to do a bit of comparison between Macdotho's pig and Fledfrigren. And as we said earlier, we do have four full episodes <laughs> yes. on Frigren's Feast and we will link them to this episode on the website. Yes. And we'll try to reference Fleth as clearly as we can. Any aspects that aren't that we don't get to cover will make sense if you listen to those earlier <laughs> episodes. Well,
0: first of all, Brickrew's Feast is a much more complex story. It is, yeah. Both stories begin with a feast that descends into chaos because of an argument as to who should get the champion's portion. But in the case of Brickrew's Feast, the contenders are Connell, Lygra and Cahullan. Now, Brickroof's Feast, I suppose, if you were trying to analyse it, it splits naturally into three sections. Yeah. In the first part, which belongs to both stories, mm. the heroes have the opportunity to take control of their own business. They can agree among themselves who is to have the champion's portion, which of course, they, they entirely don't. fail to do. It. Exactly. They don't. <laughs> But Fledbrickren adds two further levels. Mm. In the second part, the heroes must be judged by their peers or at least superiors from an equal clan. Yes. Uh, in Fledbrickran, they go to... Sent off to Connacht,
1: Connacht to yeah. LLM,
0: yeah. Now, but there's a third part because they've failed to accept the judgments from anybody yeah. or sort it out for themselves, they must now be judged by, if you like, an, another world authority mm. as they've failed to accept temporal authority. Yes. And in that case, it's Kuroi's people. And that's a much more magical story, yes. if you like. Yes, it a is.
1: weirder story. <laughs> yes, yeah, certainly. On the other hand, MacDotho really all takes place in the one location until that final route. And even then, it's mostly Kildare. What I think is a bit interesting, though, is that in Macdotho's Pig, it's Alvert the Hound, who makes that final otherworldly judgment um, mm. by siding with Ulster and going and attacking the Collector.
0: That's true. Mm. And yes, there are connections. Yeah.
1: Well, let's go back to Brickrew for yeah. a moment. Brickrew,
0: Brickrew himself starts by, as it were, offering an inverted version of the method that Macdotho uses to cope with his contending kings and warriors. Yeah.
1: Rickrow persuades all parties to attend his party by promising each of the warriors that he will be the one to get that champion's portion and plenty more valuable goodies. And of course the trick is reinforced
0: by repetition. Mm. The champion's wives are attracted in the same manner. Yes.
1: In both of them, of course, this dissension over the champion's portion leads and descends into fighting. And it is a pity that in Macdotho we don't get that wonderful Ulster Women's War of Words, that fantastic... Boasting competition that we got.
0: Yeah, but you do have MacDonald's wife, don't you?
1: Exactly. And that woman with the ideas that work about how to resolve a seemingly impossible dispute, that is central in both stories.
0: Mm. And there is a similar motif when the heroes go to Connacht. Maeve tells each hero that they've succeeded, even when it's clear that the first two have failed. Yeah. And she says it's just to get rid of them. She <laughs> does exactly what
1: MacDonald Ex- does. Exactly. Yeah. Now, in that third section of Fledricren uh, we have Kuroi who sets the same tests for each of the three contenders. They're set to guard his wonderful revolving fort uh, up there on Caracanry. First of all they have to go up against this huge giant and then this fearsome water beast but it's only Chulainn who manages any level of success in those tests.
0: And to some level this is where Fledricren Significantly diverges From MacDothor I suppose
1: Caroy yeah. Is central
0: to that yeah. It's Caroy Who takes responsibility And openly recognises Kahulan as a champion mm. He sends them Back to Arwen And it's only when Once again Kahulan's role of ch- As champion Is challenged That Kuroi turns up as the great giant, the buckluck, to invite the champions to take their turn in the beheading game. Yeah. And this establishes Kahulan's courage in a manner that cannot be disputed. Yeah. So it's more than just the Hound being the otherworld decider. It
1: is, yeah. It, it makes it absolutely mm. clear to all witnesses. So the Brick Crew stories, this compilation of... Different variants on the same theme does include the latest shiny local hero, which is Kuhulen, Kuhulen, of course. But it also includes that mysterious Kuroi.
0: Yeah, that's interesting because he's down at the other end of the country. Mm. Yet he's definitely present, or rather, his people are present
1: in this story. Yes, there seems to be a sort of axis in certain stories between the southwesterly tip of Ireland down in Kerry and the northeasterly tip up in Ulster. For example, if you look at the origin stories for Loch Ney and mm-hmm, Loch Ree, mm. they start off down in Kerry and one of the horses stops off in the Midlands and does a big wee and that's Loch <laughs> Ree, and the other one goes on all the way up to Loch Ney and does a big wee and that's Loch Ney. But there is this axis between those two point ends of the country yeah. it's also clear though in fodricrin that Cuchulain is closely connected to Rói later off he runs off with Rói's wife blathnod the woman of flowers which kind of equates him with the welsh llew yes Low. it definitely does with a name that means exactly the same thing but there is maybe a, if you like a deeper connection between Rói and Cuchulain, and that is they are both the hound mm coo uh, is the Roaring Hound, and coo as we know, is the Hound of Cullen. Well, as we've said so many times, coo is a
0: strange and mysterious character. So may, we may be able to come back to him later, oh, perhaps when so. we discuss Mesca Oh yes, the intoxication of the Ilstermen. <laughs> now that takes place in his part of the country. Oh, it
1: certainly does,
0: yes. Now I suppose going back to our current text, with Fledbrickran and Macdothos Pig, The Champion's Portion story belongs to them
1: both. But I do get the feeling that the MacDotho story might have earlier elements. Well, certainly. They both do belong to a set of stories which are about Brithen and Brugge, including the Brithen Derriga, there's Brithen Hooker. Pretty much all of those great feasting halls that are mentioned in the list have their own... Story, and the contention over the champion's portion could be a it's central a story it, it is it's a central motif, yeah. and you can see how it would crop up in those settings very naturally, really, certainly, Macdatho is missing that shiny new cukullin
0: mm-hmm. mind you, the concept of a contest for the champion's portion. Is much older. I think we mentioned when we were talking about Recru's feast mm. back in the third century. Athenaeus wrote a book which I can never pronounce. The, <laughs> <title laughs> the Nosophists. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yes. Where well, he's quoting a lot of earlier authorities. Yeah. But in the fourth chapter of his book, he quotes Poseidonius, who was a Greek Stoic philosopher from the first century BCE. Yes. Now his writings lost, mm. except for for those, those quotes few and quotes. fragments. Yeah. Poseidonius is talking about the customs of the continental Celts, not the Irish. Yes. You get the feeling, though, that there's a bit of, ooh, look at those barbarians who aren't like us at all. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) But one thing he says is interesting in terms of the current text. Yes. And I'll have to quote this. Mm -hmm. But in olden times, he continues, there was a custom that a hind quarter of pork was put on the table and the bravest man took it. And if anyone else laid claim to it, then the two rose up to fight until one of them was slain. I'm not sure it would have always ended in death because there then you would have had a very large population yeah, but that's drop. Part of that, oh look at those barbarians! Yes, exactly. I know, of course, it's hard to say which reference what first. Yeah,
1: but you can see there's a suggestion that this was thought to be a traditional custom very long standing. Oh, I think there's little doubt of that. And mm. the, that emphasis both on status and hospitality throughout our Irish corpus, I think, reflects mm. that kind of setting very clearly. So what we have in the MacDatho's pig story may offer us a sort of alternative version of the champion's portion motif. And indeed, some authorities have seen it as a parody, almost a comic version, of Fleth Rickren and of other heroic tales. Um,
0: I would say in some ways it has some earlier motifs, some earlier qualities.
1: Yes, and as we've said, it brings in many familiar figures, but... Significantly no cuckold. Mm. Well, look, let's take our focus back to the current MacDotho text.
0: Yes. We have a pig and a hound. Yes. And I get the feeling that there's a lot more to this pig than just the main course of a feast. <laughs> And what more do we
1: know about this hound that causes such general slaughter? Well, we do have recourse to some available Dynienicus texts. There are two poems on the Dinicus of Maglena that appear in the fourth volume of the Metrical Dinicus, if you want to go and look at their poems, 47 and 48. And they give us some further background about the pig, but also about the hound and, and lena. about lena yes and who's he now lena is the son of Macdatho uh, whose full name is mess roida Macdatho he's sometimes just called mess or even just roida so let's just hear the first of these two dynanicus poems
0: i have simplified the language of the translation just a little uh,
1: yes some of it was a bit weird <laughs> it often is with Gwyn. right let's go
0: Dear is the monument visited by many, and dear the grave of this remembered warrior. Dear is the corpse, now lifeless, to which the pig brought lasting memorial. Thorny the tale that was told there of a keen fighter whose voice is silenced. The sudden fate of Lena still remembered, with well-earned dread and dire dismay. Lena, son of wealthy roider, reared a pig, the worst of plagues. This was that fatal boar by which the renowned warrior was slain. From him shalt answer to its name in the north, fierce Maglena of warrior fame. From his noble house he faced the fray and departed thence, a death unsought. When came on a time in full array the five fair provinces of Ireland to seek that boar at Samhain time, in the east where it had its favoured home. There a hound was bred for constant combats, alva, sleek and appled, smooth of coat, many a host she laid under earth in the east, that perfect hound, fell and dear. Mm. Well,
1: what do you make of this? It, it does link the hound and the pig at least. Oh, it certainly does. A couple of things I find interesting, like with the second poem, as as we'll see, it mentions that all five provinces of Ireland came to this feast, rather than just the Connacht and Ulster. But that could be a poetic device to say it affected the whole country. Anybody was anyone was there. Exactly. And you get that from that list in the story. Yeah, definitely. It also tells us that the feast was held at Samhain, which is nice. Lena, how and when does this pig kill him? Well, we get more information on that death in a prose Dinhennicus, which is part of the Wren corpus of Dinhennicus stories. Lena, being Macdotho's son, was rearing this marvellous pig for his father, the Hospitaller, and he was out in the wilds, the pig was, being fed. Now, Maglena goes off to get the pig for the feast but while he's off in the wilds he falls asleep in the black ditch in Doveclash and while he's asleep the pig rootles round and buries him alive. <laughs> now he doesn't quite... That shouldn't be funny. But... <laughs> it is, but it is funny. He doesn't quite get it's all like, the way to burying him.
0: I just get this idea of somebody burying their father on the beach in the sand. <laughs> I'm sorry, I shouldn't it get that It is a bit like that.
1: It is a bit like that. But before Elena is completely drowned, he manages to throw up a spear and kill the pig. So they both die. Uh, Macdaso's swineherd has to go off and fetch this ginormous dead pig to bring it back for the feast. <laughs> that at least fills out the story, doesn't it? Yes. Yes. And we have to give some thanks to Yoji Naj, who gave a fantastic paper and presentation on it on April Fool's Day in the Institute for Advanced Studies. No, the Dinyanikas Conference. Dinianicus Conference last yeah. year, that's right. Yeah.
0: Well, let's see if the second Dinyanikas poem casts further light on the situation. Look, you read that one.
1: Okay, the pig of Macdatho, that chieftain richly clad, was no bare-boned starveling. For seven years' space, without doubt, sixty cows were milked to feed it. This much-praised beast deserved the praise that was laid upon his back in stories. Without denying treachery that destroyed it, forty oxen toiled to nourish it. Its mighty tail alone on the cart frame was a load for nine men, strangest of sights. But while he was making the champion's division, Colonel Cairnock devoured it. Though Alva of the Bright Face escaped, that hound whose pleasure was in combat, though she repelled attacks from the place, it was none the poorer for the great pig also." "'Mesgegra and noble Mesroitha were two sons of Dotho, host of the mighty troops. "'Mesroitha's son, he it was, alas, that fed the great swine to fatness. "'There came to him once in full array the five noble fifths of Ireland. "'Their rivalry brought them to him. "'Great was that following of one single swine.'" Of course, you know, I said
0: I'd simplified the language of the Dinhianakis term a little. That was because one of the lines in particular referred to «60 strippers were milked to feed the (laughs) pig». Which I felt was a little, could be easily misunderstood. <laughs> yes, so a bit confusing. Different story, to, that. <laughs> Sixty cows were milked to feed it. Yes. And even a word like "belauded."
1: Oh, gosh, yeah. is a bit over the top. I know, I know. But then occasionally Gwyn makes up words that sound a bit archaic in order to <laughs> translate there's these. There's archaic and there's
0: nonsensical. yes.
1: Yes. <laughs> Anyway, let's have a look. Yeah.
0: Lena, so, Lena
1: is killed by a pig that he reared for his father, Macdotho. The prose to does say that Lena found the pig out in the mountains, in fact, in Schlieff-Bloom, and brought it in and then fed it and reared it. So, it was originally a wild pig. So, it wasn't so much a boar hunt as a boar find. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Mind you, boar hunts do have a significant place in both Irish and Welsh stories. Yeah. Uh, just think of the death of...
1: Dermot. Yes, of course, which happened in Bel- Ben Bulben in Sligo. And you can really see that mountain looks like a boar's back. There's no denying that.
0: And, of course, in the Mabinogian, there are tales that refer to pig raids rather than cattle raids. Yes. And I suppose you can't help but mention the immensely long and convoluted story of Bullock and Olwen <laughs> and the hunt for Turk Truith, yeah. who is, in fact, a king who's been turned into a boar. Yeah. Now, this is a giant magical boar who hides a comb and shears in his hair on his head that will be later used to groom the giant Ispethaddon, who is Olwen's father. And that has to be done. It's a condition required for her being able to get married. Yes.
1: And of course, when you're talking of being transformed into pigs, we did also have Kean, Lug's father, who transformed himself into a pig and hid in a herd of pigs in order to try and escape the children of Tyrann.
0: Of course he ends up getting buried. You know, later he on. gets
1: a... killed, I think. He, he does yeah. get killed by um by the children of Tyrann as a pig. Yes. Yeah.
0: That, that, i don't know there might be some loose
1: connection there could well be but we know that's a bit of a later story oh, it anyway is a late yeah story. i'm
0: just thinking aloud
1: yeah there are plenty also of destructive pigs from the other world notably the ones who come out of uenogat in kruchen and then create this whole sort of pig hunt in Magmukrava. though i must say that onigat is linked specifically with cats rather than dogs so we have pigs and cats yes and i wouldn't send a, a cat to hunt a pig unless it was already in which case you can be very sure they will find it and they will eat it.
0: Okay. <laughs> yeah. We've still not dealt with the significance of this combination of pig and hound. Yeah. So
1: can we make any more of this? Well, there's certainly that both the pig and the hound have this great destructive Effect, that pig kills MacDartho's son and the hound just dis- merrily destroys the Connacht troops. And I suppose both sides,
0: they they are coveting the hound yeah. and that leads to combat and slaughter. Yeah. And both sides are covet the champion's portion, mm. uh, leading to more combat and slaughter. <laughs> yes. And of course, there is also that initial story I keep coming back to about the two swineherds. Yes. Which refers to pigs rather than bulls. Yeah. And I do get the feeling that maybe hound and pig and this hunting and finding motifs are eventually replaced by bulls and in the most developed version of this
1: acquisitive story motif. That yes. is the
0: Toyinville Corner.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And of course, as well as destructive pigs, we also have this connection with Ku Cullens, who not appearing in this story, who, when he is still a child, still Shadender, he kills Cullens' hound and takes on the role of that hound. And that becomes his adult name, by which we most usually know him. Do you think this remembers, Alva? Very directly, much more than you might expect, in one of the Azida, the death tales of the Ulster heroes, the death tale of Mac MacOssiker, which we referred to earlier on, there is a story within there of three marvellous puppies. One of them was Keltker's own Doylehu, who was a black hound. One was Alva, who was then a little speckled hound. But the third of them was a dun hound, and it was given to Cullen the smith. And that's the hound that Shaden the Kills... And it's the sibling to Alva. Uh, so the creature
0: that gives him his name is actually very closely connected. Absolutely. These are his sister, sister stories. Sisters. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, uh, There's a couple of really speculative, somewhat tentative thoughts mm. I have on the story. Yeah. Um, you did mention that Alva's name means
1: Whitethorn, Hawthorn? Quite possibly. That's the best kind of analysis I can come up with. With for it, it certainly seems to be related to the albus being white, and of course sometimes that's the white thorn, and it's white spiny, spiny spiky. and spiky. It's
0: just that the giant in colour canolwyn is white thorn. I yeah. mean. Ispathadn, as far as I know, is Hawthorn, but yes. this is stretching things a bit. Yeah, it's
1: it's hard to know. I mean, it could just be a, a lot. Actually, not a bit. It's stretching <laughs> things a lot. A There's a lot of Hawthorn in these parts. Put it that way. <laughs> I've also sometimes
0: wondered if pig pinching was also a popular sport, and yes. that there were pig raids, which were just as are found in the Mabinogian, mm. before it was cattle that became the high status
1: livestock. Yes, and of course. Uh, that, at a later point, cattle right raising is only just lower status than horse breeding. That's pretty much the same as it is now. Yeah, I, I'm not completely convinced that we've reached
0: the heart of this hound-pig combination, mm. other than the obvious that hounds, especially
1: wolf hounds, would be used for wild pig hunts. Yeah, I think... It does go back, though, to comments that we were making when we did talk about the two swine herds, and that is that pig herding is a pre-settled agriculture activity. We talked about how the atmosphere of that story of the two swine herds was archaic. Mm. And the thing with the pigs is that you do have this semi-wild character. They can still be hunted, and then you need the hound. Whereas when you get onto cattle and bulls, They're entirely domesticated. Yeah, the wild cattle, the orcs is long gone. Long, long gone. Probably before there were people in Mm. Ireland, I would say. On Um, the
0: continent, they're still around. Yes. Roman times
1: yes but I I think they're long gone and mm. I think there's there is that difference in character that when you have pigs you're still in that hunter-gatherer so semi-domesticated yes
0: and then they remain on but their semi-domesticated nature is gone but they're still ooh, kept partly in the wild yes so the hunting and finding mm. finding your pigs it's just a thought anyway yeah, yeah. I do feel there might be more to
1: unpack from this story, but what I like
0: best are the performative elements in this tale.
1: Yeah, and I think that comes out when we speak it aloud. Those sections of poetry which are so often the core of one of these stories They're dialogues. Mm. First of all is the one between MacDotho and his wife, but even between Connell and Kate. Oh, yeah. I
0: really appreciate those repeated sequences Mm. where each hero is introduced and wittily humiliated by Mm. Kate even before Connell turns up. Yeah. And, and these repetitions must have been so popular with, with the listeners to these yeah. stories. and I can easily imagine the storyteller de jour, as it were, introducing topical references as well as
1: sly digs at local would-be heroes. Well, especially when you have themes such as piercing the upper testicle <laughs> and leaving someone with a lifelong urinary tract infection. Right. <laughs> That's more than a dig. <laughs> okay. It is
0: a lively down-to-earth story that must have represented a popular Apri Hunt story. Yes,
1: yes, you can see that. Or even just a bout of drinking, let's face it. I suppose that's what I mean.
0: (laughs) Even the ending where Faloga, the... Connacht charioteer gets one up on Concover himself. Yeah. That's fun. Yeah. And although this story includes a rout and wholesale
1: slaughter, it does end in comedy and not tragedy. Yes. And logo's request has that kind of comedic quality. It's not a tragedy or a heroic assassination. All he wants is for all of the women of Ulster to call him darling every night and Probably more than that. It is something of a laddish joke, yeah. I have to say. So, if there
0: is a level of parody, it struck me that it might be a parody on the constant and overwhelming conquests of the young brat Cahullan, maybe latched onto an older core pig hunt story by an innovative storyteller as fed up of the great Ulster child hero as I sometimes
1: feel. <laughs> yes. But I do think that the comedic element is actually more integral. And not only to this story, but to the other ones that we've been looking at. We keep on finding that the heroes are so often comic characters. That, mm-hmm. Including the <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And especially. And I think that it's time to appreciate that that is a core part of these stories I think there's no clear division between comedy and tragedy mm. as we would expect from later analysis
0: yeah this uh, idea of the classical exactly actually isn't quite what it that's not, not even classical no <laughs> there's, there's more to these stories and sometimes they're just fun yes yeah well anyway it's a nice meaty story it's one you can get your teeth into and we hope you weren't bored <laughs> sorry I couldn't resist that <laughs> Well, until next time, which will probably be our Christmas special. It's getting so late in in the year, and I'm off to Australia at the beginning of December. So enjoy.
1: Thank you for listening to Agulof Managus, conversations about Irish mythology with the story archaeologists, Chris Thompson and Isolde of carmody For more information, to subscribe or make a donation, please visit storyarchaeology.com You can get in touch via email on storyarchaeologists at gmail.com